This week's episode is brought to you by Lauren Gardner, who might have been the first woman to do the PA job in Pro Men's Sports Saturday night. I'm pretty sure she was at least the first in the NHL. What a badass. This has got to be one of the gutsiest clubs in the National Hockey League. It's a breakaway. McKinnon. Pure guts. <laughs> they got nothing but guts. Brandon right here with a terrific backhand pass, and look at the patient, my goodness. Guts all over the place, I can't believe it. And after 22 years, Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, I'm Seth, and you're locked into Burgundy Radio for October 15th, 2018, or 2017, like a moron. Coming up on the show, the Avs ride the roller coaster, two minutes eight for the worst line around. And I'm sorry, but if you're the type to want all positivity all the time, this show might not be for you. Uh, before the middle whoosh, of course, your disembodied voices, as always, are Earl 06. Hi, Earl. How's it going, everyone? And Tiger Vixen. Hello, TV. Hi, I'm ready to rant. And joining us again today is Rudo. What's up, Rudo? Hey, hey, I'm actually on time for once. On Tuesday, the Colorado Avalanche traveled to Columbus and kind of just rolled over, falling 5-2 to the Blue Jackets. Nathan McKinnon and Carl Soderberg both scored in the second to keep the game tied with a third period less than outstanding. This was Philip Grubauer's Avs debut, and while you'd like to see better than 30 saves on 34 shots, some help would have been nice too, considering he faced 17 in the first period alone. What do you think of the new netminder? Uh, I thought he was one of the best players on the ice for the Avs, to be honest, in that game. He... Looked very solid. That game could have pretty easily been about 8-2, to two, if not for him. Like, they could have scored 5 in the first period. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, the Avs showed up for, you know, maybe the second period of that game, maybe a bit more, and he just kind of got hung out there. I thought he was good. Uh, I mean, you want to see, you want to see the next start um, have a little bit more success. Just, <clears throat> I don't know. You get worried when you see a guy have a great game but still not win, and, and we've kind of seen that a lot with, let's say, Spencer Martin in the minors. So you just want to make sure that that's not what he is. I'm going to be a little less sunny about it. I, I don't think he's been bad at all, and I think he has endured a few tough circumstances, but I think he kind of has two factors against him. One is he's being compared against Farley, who has done extremely well. You could also say, did he have the worst performance in front of him? I could also say that until last night, and Varley pretty much kept them in the game. And then Farley's always gotten hit with the stick of, you need one or two really great saves. And I think he had one in the first period, and then that didn't really happen in the second and third. It sounds like I'm being a little too harsh on him. Like I said, I don't think he was bad, but I wouldn't quite put him in the good or even better than that category yet. I think he's been fine. I'm also taking into consideration his preseason and his camp, which I felt like was fine as well. But if he wants to be anywhere close to that number one spot. He he has a long road ahead of him. In conclusion, don't hit Varley with sticks. (laughs) (laughs) 
Then on Thursday, Colorado responded brilliantly in Buffalo. They jumped out to a 3 to nothing lead in the first period with goals from Tyson Jost, Colin Wilson, Soderberg again. McKinnon would add another late in the second, and then he and Alex Kerfoot both added breakaway dunks with under five minutes to play. Also, Vladislav Kamenov joined the lineup in this game, which eventually saw Sheldon Dries reassigned to the AHL. Y'all are going to hate me for this take, but even though the Avs won 6-1, to one, this game was dreadful. There were 11 minor penalties total. 11. Probably half of them were bogus. Simeon Varlamov was excellent. He stopped all 13 shots he faced shorthanded, except the one that got called back, because the Sabres player put Varley himself in the net too, so well done there. But this game could just never get into a real flow, you know? I, I guess yeah, the I first it. period was fine. Like, the Avs scored consistently enough, but... Yeah, the second and third periods dragged. <laughs> I I mean, I'll agree that, that nobody needs that many penalties. It's ridiculous at the NHL level. I mean, that that's what you see in some AHL games that get into the bad territory, but they're, we're going to see a lot worse than that game. It, it was still fun watching them score goals. It was still fun watching them beat up the Sabres like a bunch of little kids, which I always feel like the Avs fall victim to is they are the little kids which then we saw that in the next game that we'll get to but there was still a lot of fun to be had in the Sabres game and and we're yeah. going to see a lot worse uh, pro tip shoot high glove on Carter Hutton <laughs> <laughs> yeah I I think that if if you're an NHL ref and you need more than six penalty calls to manage a game, then you're not doing it right and I realize it's early season and you get a little sloppiness and maybe you need more than that but um, that was excessive to a huge degree. That wasn't the case in this game. Yeah, I mean, Alex Kerfoot took two bogus penalties personally. Um, they bit on a pretty obvious Gabe Landeskog dive where he feels the stick in his legs and just planks. Um, and that's just off the top of my head from like five days ago. So, like, you know it wasn't good. So, let's go ahead and get to it. Finally on Saturday, the Avs return to Denver and discovered they were not able to do what Columbus did to them. They jumped out on top of the Flames with two early goals from Nathan McKinnon and JT Comfer, and they just poured on the shots and the pressure. But you know, a little before halfway through the second, right when you start to worry that you know they haven't been able to pad their lead anymore, things changed real fast. After outshooting Calgary 17-10 in the first period, they got outshot 31-9 the rest of the way. It was only at, through some brilliance from Varlamov that Colorado even made it to overtime where they would lose quickly on some truly bizarre decision-making all around. 3-2, scoring only a pity point. Uh, now, before I ask what the hell happened, let's go ahead and get our two minutes hate out of the way. Who wants to start? This is TV's category, I think. Matt Nieto? Go on. Is that it? <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you guys start. I'll finish it. Okay, I mean, I'll start for Nieto specifically. Even if you ignore this Calgary game, I, I yeah, he had an assist on opening night, but outside of that single play, he has not had a good game yet, and three of them have been actively bad. And I feel for the guy. Like, I want him to be successful, but he's just not helping the team at all and then it comes into this pinnacle of this Calgary game where yes the whole team was terrible but he's the one left holding the bag on both of Calgary's regulation goals and it's not a good look yeah yeah I uh, certainly agree that 
it's it's a more the culmination of his the start of his season than just one play but it it was like you're playing with fire you know it's going to burn you and it did my problem is not only with Nieto it's that that whole line and as soon as we saw it in in preseason and a lot of people are like, oh, they're never going to play that line in a real game. And you know, <laughs> it became more and more obvious that, yes, that was the plan, was to have Matt Nieto, Carl Soderberg, and, and Gabriel Bork as basically your second line. Not only was it the uh, plan, it's the fallback plan. It's yeah. The, it's the default. Yeah. And... It, <sighs> I mean, that line had its moments last year, and there are reasons for it. I mean, I've been through this a lot, but you know, Blake Como added so much to that line that I guess didn't go appreciated. And the main thing was that he and Soderberg were able to play a cycle game in the offensive zone that allowed them to suppress shots going the other way. I don't think there were ever like a true shutdown line, like you know if they're if they're pinned in their own zone, they're going to be blocking shots left and right, and they can clear the puck and and. You know, that, that just wasn't them. I mean, their success was almost all from neutral zone play and being able to drive the puck forward. And when you put a guy in Como's place, and this is unfair to Gabriel Bork, but it is what it is. I mean, it's like he doesn't have Como's puck skills and he's not able to drive play the same way. And that just makes the whole line terrible. Like, you know, it exposes Nieto for his faults. And I, I just I hate the plan from day one of having those three guys together and being stubborn with it like they've been through preseason when they didn't show well in these first five I, games. I think that's a really good word for it, and I I maybe should save this for the scratches section, but some of the fault here has to be on Bednar as well. Oh yeah. Um, no, I mean, I, you know, I, I laid into him in my article today just because, uh, you know, I, I truly believe that this is sort of the staff saying we like, you know, these guys in this role and, you know, we have confidence that they can take care of what we're putting them out there to do. And it's, you know, the, the end result is they give up more shots, uh, shot attempts than any other line, um, when they're out there and they generate the fewest, and their, their Corsi is, it's not even close to the second worst line. So. Last night it was shocking. That, I mean, but Carl Soderbergh is a little bit different because he gets a little bit of, you know, extra shifts here and there depending on when the last power player penalty kill was. But um, between Nieto and Boric, their most common matchups, they were plus one, minus 13. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, your it's... possession cannot be under ten percent. Are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah. that's just ridiculous. And, and right. to to continue throwing them out there in that matchup more so as the game goes on is just ridiculous. That was shocking. Right, like it's not just us saying that we don't we don't like seeing the vets overused. It's like how can you see that with your eyes and then go back and look at the analytics and. And continue rolling that out because it has just gotten worse and worse each game. And it does seem like maybe we're picking on Nieto, even though he has been the worst probably of the whole team, at least the consistently bad. 
But he's now the sixth highest paid forward on the Avs. He just got $2 million extension for times two. So it, it's like you can raise the expectation bar. And he's not even meeting last year's expectations. And that's why the Avs are kind of in a, in a problem now because they're looking at can you scratch this guy? Will they scratch this guy? It's, it nope. makes the front office look bad that you just signed this guy to an extension and he, he can't even keep his place in the lineup. And we'll see. Are, at what point are they willing to admit that he's going to be a problem? Because when Sven Andrigetto gets back in the lineup, you know they're going to play him. It would be nice if it's just not the kid, a.k.a. Kamenev at this point, that just gets to sit so they can still keep playing the guy that makes $2 million that hasn't earned his spot. And if you want to keep rolling out that message that you you get what you earn, you can't keep turning a blind eye to what's going on with one player. Yeah, it, it would be a shame to see Kamenev sit over Nieto. And I I mean, we'll start with baby steps, right? That line needs to be broken up. Or, like, Soderbergh doesn't deserve to be playing fourth-line minutes and the, his those two wings cannot do anything but play fourth-line minutes. So it's either got to be broken up or you're punishing Soderbergh for trying to carry them. What I did, like, from last night's game, the thing that pissed me off was up until that turning point we're sort of talking about the, the power player that was sort of uh, the first third of the second period, uh, that line was fairly lightly used and for good reason because they you know they were the one line that was really not keeping up with the game um, but sort that. of starting halfway through the the second period they started getting more and more usage and they started tailing off usage for guys you know like the the Kerfoot Jost Wilson line and they really stopped playing like the, the comfort Kamenev there yeah. you know they, they put Calvert out with other lines but and I didn't um, think they, they went all in on these three guys who, you know, anyone watching the game knew they weren't performing well. And anyone who looked at an analytics page was just like, nah, this guy, these guys aren't getting it done. You know, yeah, I know they, it's a Bill Peters team and they shoot from everywhere. So they're, you know, you're going to probably be not so hot Corsi, but it's like when your Corsi is under 10%, you know, I don't care who's the other coaches. That's bad. Yeah, you're when you actively embrace the turtle that much that early in the game, what happened was bound to happen. Right, there's two two ways you can look at the fault. One is is the players couldn't keep doing what they were doing in the first period. Now, I would say the turbo mode that they're playing in I don't think is sustainable for an entire game, but that could be a, a different question. But two well, Flames didn't seem to have any problem doing it. Well, they also added something that the Avs can't add, which is physicality. And then, two, is that, so yeah, Bednar doesn't like that his team can't keep doing the play fast, but then he's slowly getting into, like, what you mentioned, that he's playing the conservative, the, the vets, playing less of the younger, faster. So how are you supposed to play fast when they're not playing? I mean, it, it was pretty obvious when they didn't score on that power play that, you know, like two goals probably was, you know, it, it might have held up. 
I think it would have. I wouldn't want to bet on that. Like you probably wanted to keep trying to score. So it's like you wanted to keep trying to roll out some scoring lines. And, you know, I know they, they probably say like, well, you know, it's like McKinnon and Ranton and, and Landeskog, they ought to be able to get us one or we'll get a power play or something like that. But it's right. the mentality of, you know, we'll try to hold them at par yeah. uh, so five five and, then, and then go for it you know, on a power play later on. I mean, it's you, just, they, it's faulty thinking yeah. in my eyes. I mean, you expect a pushback from Calgary, right? If you're right. up by two, <clears throat> that 10, 15 minutes of hockey, they're going to push hard. But you can't just, after that 10, 15 minutes, say, okay, boys, just lock it down and we're going to play our worst possession players and turtle it out. You well, have to put your one. quality players out and counter. It's, I mean... When we got to, you know, about five, ten minutes into the second period and it was still two to nothing, I, that's when I started to think, okay, you haven't, you're, you're letting this team hang around. And Calgary doesn't suck, okay? You can't let them hang around. They don't. The Calgary zone implies average at worst. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Calgary zone would have been an improvement for, for what the Avs have been doing for the last decade. But what it, yeah. what it eventually came down to was you just like we keep saying you just, you you stopped playing to expand your lead and instead you played what you consider to be a defensive line which is trash defensively and just rode them until they were unable to keep up anymore and it was like i know it was like 30 to 9 or whatever through the whole second period but if you do it from like the turning point of the game it was like 25 to like 4 in right. shots or something right. like that it was absurd well i mean all right that power play till the avs got another power play with 7 minutes uh into the third period it was the the zadorov um oh who did he mess with um bennett i forget but whatever that you know sam bennett <clears throat> Um, that was hilarious. Yeah, that's right. that was hilarious. Um, but in between those two power plays, um, they were out attempted thirty to three at five v five, and that's just in twenty minutes. You know, I, I mean, it just <laughs> that was before even the turtle at the end of the game happened. You know, that and that was actually that actually ended up being worse. Um, but it just you know giving up thirty shots in twenty minutes and only attempting three yourself. I mean, that's just. That's I mean, worse than a turtle. That's just right, and, and and you know, it's a lot of that's definitely on the players. And I know Bednar wasn't happy with a bunch of guys, but you know, you just got to keep rolling four and and you know, help everyone starts pulling out of it. What this roster has shown over the last three or four years is that they're going to absolutely follow their coach's lead. Whatever the whatever the coach's attitude and style is in any given moment, that's what the team's doing. And so when your um, overarching strategy is, I'm going to ride the Soderberg shutdown line and try to ride this game out, I don't know why you'd be surprised that the players would also try to ride the game out. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. And it's, you know, we talked about this a lot last year where that veteran line was a, a bit of a crutch for Bednar. And this offseason, you basically took a hacksaw to that crutch and put a giant notch in it. And <laughs> and and the crutch is starting to bend and borderline break here. And we need to see Bednar shift focus. Yeah. And maybe it'll be a blessing in disguise eventually, because if they still had Como, 
maybe they just keep rolling that line out. And granted, it would be better than what we've seen now, but what we need is for them to progress to four real lines. Well, yeah, I guess the silver lining is, that, you know, game five is a great time to figure this out. Right. Right. If they figure it, it out. It's not game 65. Right. And that I know that he really likes Soderbergh in that we all wanted Soderbergh to be like the second line. And, and for the most part, we are still pretty happy with the Joe's Kerfoot Wilson thing, but just you can't, you can't waste Soderbergh like that. And he himself has had a pretty good start to the season. And it's just, it's unfortunate what they were doing with him and, and obviously hurting the team in the process as well. Free Carl. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, without Carl, I don't even want to think about what that line looks like, which which presents a problem in its own because you either have to strap someone else with that baggage or split them up. So it's it's not going to be ideal no matter what. I don't know if they can have a shutdown line. They don't have the personnel for it. If they had several above average defensive forwards, no, I'm not talking about a shutdown yeah. line even. I'm just saying, based yeah, on the saying. season that those two wingers have had, they're going to drag their center down on any line. So you have to kind of split them. And then, you know, but hopefully it's a lighter burden that way. But That Bedner wants something that they don't even have the personnel for. I mean, well, I mean I, I, if they I don't get believe ghetto in back. shutdown lines anyway... I, like, I, I don't think you should have a line that you're like, okay, we'll just put these guys out and they'll block shots all day. That's, you know, you don't want that. And I think if they, you know, if they do something like, like switch up some personnel, put Comfer, Calvert, or maybe even both there, <clears throat> um, you've now got guys with some puck skill on the wings and they can begin to break the puck out a lot better and, and move through the neutral zone a lot easier. And I, I think that helps out. Now that... You know, say they do that, that means that Nieto and, and Bork would be on you know, what would probably end up being the fourth line with someone that probably ends up being Kamenev for the moment. And then that's a tough thing for him, but they're probably going to get easier matchups and less time, so uh, they'll do less harm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just still at the point where I don't know what... I, I can't imagine what else they could have possibly expected was going to happen with this line. I mean, we were we were pretty happy with, with Gabriel Bork last year because he's able to do well in a very limited NHL role. But you've expanded his NHL role to where everybody knows he's not going to be able to contribute there. And you've done that to replace, apparently, a Blake Como who is covering a lot of warts. Just funny well, that yeah, we were yeah. also worried that Calvert was going to be the replacement. And what they came up with Bork was... Yeah, right now Calvert as the replacement seems pretty nice looking. Please use and Calvert was, as the replacement. And, and I don't even think like, he'd be that why good. He, <laughs> he wouldn't. <laughs> and then it goes back to the summer. What was their thinking in replacing... It was like even Sackick has directly said they they got Calvert because they knew Como wasn't coming back, and then so that and then that goes to what made you think that was an appropriate replacement? And then my question is, why isn't Comfort being transitioned into that kind of role? Why couldn't they see that someone they had internally could fit that profile, but yet they don't want to use him there? They would rather use. 
guys with even more limited skill sets. Well, uh, for some reason, they really seem to like Confer at center, but I'm with you. I mean, we've no one was coming into the season expecting Nieto to repeat what he did last year, except for maybe Bednar. <laughs> um, and given this five-game stretch, Comfer has been, outside of maybe Wilson, if he counts as a depth forward, the Avs' best, best offensive depth forward. So he deserves a chance, at least on the third line. And I like when Comfer's playing a bit scrappier. Like his goal yesterday, it was a nice goal, but it was also scrappy. And I think I think he's better that way than when he's trying to really place shots or try to be pretty. Because I don't think he quite has the skill set for that. So whatever they can do to keep him playing how he has been playing, and maybe in an, an increased role, would be perfect. Well, the thing is, is you look at sort of what, what he's done with Calvert and uh, Dryson and, and Kamenev, that's a really effective fourth line, if you want to call it that. I mean, their their time on ice is is higher than the fourth lines we've seen in the Avs ice over the past 10 years or so. Um, you know, they've, they've been much closer to the third line in minutes. Um, and, and I think that's worked out well. You know, Calvert's kind of struggling to score, and, and, you know, you have the rookies just getting their feet wet. But, you know, Comfer's producing, and that line's not getting killed. I mean, they've been way above 60% Corsi in several games, so. It is. I've, I've liked that line, too. And I think yesterday when when they were put out, I, they at least got the puck down into the offensive zone. Maybe it didn't stay there, but it certainly moved to that end a lot more than some of the other lines. And it's unfortunate that that line is going to probably be a casualty of trying to figure out the the well, Soderbergh line. It should be. I mean, it's great having the best fourth line in the NHL, but it, it, it comes at the expense of having the worst second line in the NHL. So that's, you know, that's counterproductive. It's just, it's hard to find a good fourth line. It's not like we're putting you know, real great players there. It, it, those are still depth players, and you're, you you had a really nice fourth line, but I can't continue. And it, it's tough to find an actual useful fourth line. It is, but you also don't play your fourth line nearly enough for that to be a, a, that big of a concern, so. Yep. The uh, fourth line is what it is, and the Carl line is hopefully not going to continue to be what it is. Something has to change. Um, but let's uh, let's stay along our rays of sunshine here and look kind of on the back end. What what's going on with this Cole Berry pair? Oh, uh, okay. So it was bad. I don't hate it as much as some people. I think there are some serious questions about Cole's defensive ability net front, but given how the Avs played that entire game as a team, and you're paired with Tyson Berry 5-on-5, five five, there's no way your numbers look good coming out of that game. But they were still... The thing is, is that with those two, I don't feel individually I've hated what they've done. There's been nights where I completely hate what Barry does, and then he hasn't been to that level for me. And Cole, you can see what he brings. It's a little bit different than all the other defense that they have. He gets away with some of the physical stuff, which I think they need. And it's nice that they actually let him get away with it. But, and, and yes, yesterday the whole team gets to wear that. But Cole and Barry, I think, were 
minus or were out there for 28 and 26 shot attempts against. No other player was out for 20. So they were considerably worse than everyone else. Even the forwards that we just beat up for the last however many minutes, they didn't even see 20 shot attempts against. Well, I'm going to take a bit of a different tack and say that they're just flat out awful together and it's just not working. And if they, you know, if they want to stick with it and see if Cole can be that guy, that's going to be Barry's partner all year. Um, you know, good luck with that, but it, you know, you're going to go through some pain. I mean, they are really awful um, comparative to the other uh, defensemen on the team, as far as shot rates for and against. And I just, I just, I really don't see the chemistry there. And I know it takes more than five games to develop chemistry, but when you have a guy in Nikita Zadorov who played very well with Barry down the stretch and, and, you know, even in into the, into the playoffs, um, yeah. sort of, and, I mean, but regardless, they have chemistry. They know how each other likes to play and both of them look like garbage so far this year and you've split them up. So why not put them back together and, you know, sort of get that going at least. And I know that creates the situation where you have Ian Cole with Patrick Nemeth as, you know, your your third or your 2A or 2B pair. Um, and that's not ideal. But I, I just, I don't think you can keep running these guys out there that, that you know, they're, they're getting outshot massively every night. And getting more out of Zadorov and yeah. Barry is more important than third pair. I agree. It's, the the Zadorov-Barry pair has never been my favorite, but it, it does seem a little... Right. What it uh, does is it gets so, Z more minutes, and we all know Z plays significantly better when he gets yeah. more minutes. Yeah. It's a bit short-sighted to break that pair up just because you paid for Ian Cole. Well, also, it just seems like... Zadorov likes playing with pace, and he's not getting that with Nemeth, and I think that's really kind of bringing his yeah, game down a I little mean, bit. The whole Nemeth thing is weird, too, because they have Zadorov as the one switching to his offside to like try and pamper Nemeth as much as possible, and Nemeth's been fine, but it's just weird how much they seem to be forcing that. Right, it's, it's to shoehorn Nemeth in, and I agree, I wouldn't call him the worst either, it's just it just seems like Nemeth is tough because he he needs to be in a very certain role and that makes it tough. Then you have Barry who needs a very certain partner to function. Then that makes it tough. So so then I agree you're also all Barry needs is, is a guy that plays with pace and that's not Cole and that is Zadorov. Right. Barry needs someone that's that kind of I mean I don't think he the needs the brains but... at the time at times. I, well, yeah, but I mean, I, I do, what I don't think he needs is someone that you're like, oh, that guy's a rock defensively. We could, could put him with anyone and feel comfortable. I mean, it's like, I, I think you need someone to play with Barry that's going to push the play. Yeah, it's, and, I don't know if it's push the play necessarily, but it's someone that can reliably get the puck out of the zone himself. Right. Because if Barry's partner is pinning the puck in his own zone, Barry's not useful to you. Right. And honestly, and... this is easily the best set of defensemen that the Avalanche have had in several years. So you shouldn't be afraid of any third pairing you can put out there. 
Like it, it uh, doesn't I'd be matter. afraid of Nemeth and Cole. I, I think Nemeth I, and Cole would be a disaster. It can't be worse than Tootin and Boschman or like Brad well, Stewart. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about with what we have, though. I mean, I'm just, you know, I, I'm imagining Nemeth and Cole together, and it's just, you know, that they're getting um, buried in, in their own zone a lot. They do but it I on mean, the that, PK, that's, I mean. Well, that's because yeah, their specialty is they ice, can't ice the puck, it, so. <laughs> But, I mean, Cole is significantly better than Nemeth, and... That yeah. includes that first pass, just because... It does. I think we, we all got a bad taste in our mouth on Ian Cole's icing tendencies from the preseason, which is not really fair to him because of how much better he's been since then. Yeah, it's and I want, cool. yeah, I want to make that clear that I don't think... I mean, I think if I'm going to rag on anyone on that pairing, it would be Barry for, for playing kind of uh, underperforming. I, I think Cole's been actually pretty good. It's just I don't like the chemistry and I don't like the way that, that pair works with each other. And I think that in bringing up Ian Cole and Tyson Barry, that is necessarily a conversation about Nikita Zadorov. So I'm glad that I wasn't the one who had to go there. You know, it's it's tough because it's a lot easier to look at Barry alone. And if Power Play 1 had been producing better over these five games, I think we'd be a lot more forgiving of what Barry's done. Yeah. But power play one, especially Barry on the power play quarterbacking it, has not been pretty. No. Although I I did notice they were playing in a very different style last night. They were, and Barry almost turned it over like about 18 times the blue line. But He was also getting a shot through, though. Yeah, and but I, you know, Ray Bennett's obviously been working with these guys over the past week or so. And they've, you know, they're doing stuff like putting Miko on the left side and Mac on the right side. And, and, you know, they're switching personnel up as far as where they're playing. And you're noticing a little more Royal Road passes and, and trying to get the seam passes through and whatnot. So, um, you know, I, I like where that's heading. It, it obviously didn't pay off last night, but I think I think they're on the right track. It's like the first unit watch what the second unit was doing that was so effective. And went, yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh we, those guys were paying attention in class. We, maybe we should do. <laughs> and then Barry realized he blew out his knee a couple years back and can't skate like Sam Gerard, and <laughs> we <Yeah>. had problems. <laughs> I liked seeing that they were being more aggressive, but I wonder if that's just part of when they were playing aggressive. Mm. Uh, because it was, I mean, even in the even in the play, the power play on the third, it. You know, you could see sort of the. It was more of a weave through the center kind of power play rather than stand around and pass it around. Some of that was a little bit by necessity too, because Calgary's kill was extremely aggressive on the back end. Yeah, on the back I end. Think of the that's power good. Play. Yeah. It forced them to not just go. Okay, Nathan, you got thirty feet of clearance. Come at the blue line, and we'll all get into our diamond and stand there, and we'll see what happens. They didn't have. Yeah, that I mean, I, I I think that's actually good for the Avs power play. I think you know. You, I have lost you. Um, yeah, this has been happening to him on my pod too. Okay. <laughs> he probably can't even hear us. Okay. <laughs> when he gets like forty minutes, and then poof. <laughs> he has to have his nightly poof. Um, <laughs> it's you know the one the one thing I will say uh. We haven't touched on EJ much, 
And I thought he was fine for most of that game, but that overtime was just absolutely brutal. Yeah, oh yeah, uh, the, we were going to talk about the overtime itself. The overtime itself needs to be its own section. And I agree. I think EJ does look several years younger. It seems like being paired with Sam has been really good for him. And and then I think it even helps him not feel like he has to do everything. But then when he went out there in that overtime, he certainly started to try to do everything. And, yeah, and Barry also... <laughs> Barry also did did a really low percentage effort there, and then yeah, then EJ. I watched that that overtime back m- multiple times. He he basically just lost the puck in the corner. It you can break down just about every single decision the Avs made in that overtime <laughs> as the wrong one. Well, like it's, it's it was a very weird. short. It was a very short <laughs> overtime, so we have the ability to do that. Continue. Yeah, I so. All right, we'll start with Bednar and just work our way down. <laughs> Putting out one forward in 2D, nothing wrong with that, in my opinion. Yeah, I Fairly I common starter. That How that works is if you lose possession, great. You got two defenders until you get possession back. If you win possession, you just circle back and change one of the defenders. No problem. Problem there is, like first they- of all, <laughs> if you're... Well... The first problem is if you're going to start Barry as one of the defensemen, you basically might as well start two forwards. And then the second problem is they got possession and just didn't change one of the defensemen. So it made no sense. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 was, I don't like two defensemen starting on 3v3. Um, I, I like sort of... I mean, like having two offensively gifted players that aren't very good at defense, you know, that might turn out to be bad. Um, but I just, I, I, I don't think even really good defensemen uh, have the puck skills that you really need. And that's, you know, like I, I would put Sam in a category where I, I would feel comfortable with him as a second defenseman, but I don't, you know, I don't like Barry's passing enough and I don't like EJ's passing enough. To really I, think that that you know that they are the two right guys to do that with. I'm with and you would, on that generality, though, Earl. Yeah. I, I, last night I was describing it as galaxy brain horseshit, and that's because yeah, I mean it wasn't about, even. This is about possession, then, and and possession requires right. you to go forward sometimes. Yes. Yeah. It, it's that's about fair. Possession. Those two don't have the gr- like a plus kind of like you said puck skill plus passing. And it's, so that's fair. Even with the puck skill plus passing, I mean, they just absolutely turned their brains off. Like, <laughs> you get possession of the puck, and Barry gets it, and he looks up the ice, and he thinks, three on three overtime, you know what? I'm going to rush it myself yep, and try and put a weak it. backhand on net, immediately giving up possession. And it's it's like, what possibly possessed you to think that was the play? Like, With no support, well, that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The sharpest knives in the drawer to begin with. I mean, that that takes all of like one iota of brain power. We've had three <laughs> on three for a few years in the league now. I know they used to be good at it. I mean, you know, if you're thinking of a strategy in three v three, like if if you get possession right off the bat, you're thinking, all right, if we just fart around and and don't really exert ourselves that much. If we hold this for about 40 seconds, the other guys are going to be gassed. And then we can start really working some magic. 
So it's like the rush right away, you're just kind of like, you know, that's just giving up possession for the sake of giving up possession. Yeah, success three on three is a little bit counterintuitive. And, and the reason that the Avs used to be good at it, like, and when it started, is because they're extremely talented at, you know, open ice puck play. So before the 3v3 overtime was kind of, you know, solved by coaching, they could just do whatever they wanted and overpower you. Yeah, I think they start worrying about give, giving it up too much. I, I think that started happening I had... last year that they they were tr- they were th- overthinking it and trying not to give it up. I don't even know what happened with with this one. I think just too many guys. I think you basically had the three guys on the ice who are more prone to hero moments than some of the others. Yeah, there it is. And... I, yeah, <laughs> EJ fell into that trap like. Damn. And uh, yeah, th- that's basically what happened. They all had to hero hero moment. It there was yeah, there was no using each other. They all thought they were gonna be the highlight reel. I mean, it, it, it was brutal. If you examine how coaches have broken down three v three and and sort of what the 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 strategy is, it, it, you're you're trying to use things that aren't players as players or things that aren't skaters as, as players. Um, you know, it's like using your goalie to, you know, sort of be a, a fourth skater at times when you need, you know, to make a change and things like that. Using the wall as another player. Uh, you know, it's like I, I see constantly teams try to force teams to the outside so that they can use the wall to, you know, sort of be a, a a second guy in a two v one defensive situation, and it's like the abs keep skating into those. Yeah, it, that's a when EJ did his rush up the ice, and the abs went for a change during it, and like <laughs> the flames didn't even try and hide it. They like bright big red flashing letters were showing trap on the half boards yep. to EJ, and he had plenty of time to button hook back and hit someone coming off the bench, and he just skated right into it. Yeah. <laughs> but not only that, he lost the puck himself. Like, maybe it was going to happen because they were c- going to cut him off, but he's the one that helped them first. Yeah. And then McKinnon just turns around and changes. <laughs> Do you think someone on the bench told him to change? I mean, I if you see Gaudreau... Because he was the only forward out there. <laughs> in your very changed for Sam. Yeah, that was so, weird to me, too, that Sam came on for the defenseman there when you had possession of the puck, but... I mean, the, the, probably the thinking is, is we want the defenseman back, and he's changing now. All right, so you get Sam, and, like, EJ comes in for a forward, yada, yada, yada. That probably works out. But, you know, it just didn't. Yeah, that, it, well, it had been a long shift. Like, I understand McKinnon thinking that he should change when he can, but there was nothing about that situation that said it was it's safe for you to change. It, <laughs> it's much. like he saw the that two guys. That was another guys. thing we saw a lot last year is just guys like, whoop, time to change. Yeah. <laughs> he just did it no matter what the situation was. So, Like, he I saw mean, the two guys. It wasn't Patrick tied. whistling on the bench. It just... <laughs> You know, they just did it anyway. <laughs> it's like he saw the two guys involved with EJ that were pretty down low and thought, okay, that's safe. But it's like, there's a third guy, Nate. And his he's pretty good. 
He's so good that when he got the puck, <laughs> the uh, ab- the the Flames goalie was in full celebration mode already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, if we're done fogging the overtime, I I think we maybe need to talk about McKinnon because <laughs> his, the start to his season is interesting. The, the six goals is fantastic, but I think in between those goals, he's been stubborn as i guess bedner and we would like to say i think he's kind of hurt his cause more than helped it i just think it's really odd that that he has six goals and one assist and miko has one goal and seven assists it's not weird because miko's the primary assist on every single one of his goals no but i'm just saying like (laughs) i I, you know (laughs) if you need need an assist on a goal to somebody other than once (laughs) Is well, weird. that too. There, yeah, there's two things there. Like maybe he really does need Miko, and that, and that, yeah, he he could stand to make a play too at some point. Right. Um, I get. You know, it's like he's leading the league in shots or something like that. Maybe he isn't anymore, but you know, he's got. But can you even think of a great now, pass but... that he's made to somebody? Yeah, he has. I mean, he's made some nice plays. It's just they haven't. You know, they haven't obviously borne fruit, but. I mean, I can but, think. I mean, of that's nice another part of the weirdness of it. It's just, somebody else. <clears throat> um, yeah, I mean, it's like the, you know, there have been a couple chances that Landy could have finished and he didn't. And you know, I mean, I, I, I'm not that down on Nate's playmaking. You know, it's only five games, so it's you know, well, you, you see course. a lot of guys this time of year that have some pretty weird, you know, Cy Young type numbers. So I'm not worried about him at all. That's not why I bring it up. I just think if we're going to flog certain players, I think he shouldn't be immune to criticism of his game. Well, I mean, he shouldn't I'll flog, be. I'll flog Miko for not scoring then. It's like that. Right. I wouldn't do that because McKinnon has MVP level moments in games. Sure. It, yeah. If so you want to, if you want to nitpick him or that line, you could nitpick their consistency, I would say. And I, at times, they get pretty buried in their own zone. Yeah, yeah. I'd say Miko was the best forward yesterday, and the analytics show that, too. I I thought he actually used tight space and did things with the puck that maybe he hadn't been doing in the, the first few games. It's just yeah. funny with McKinnon, because what did we used to bitch about with McKinnon? He would come into the zone and pull up and do nothing. Right. Yep. Every single Pull time, turn it over. <laughs> we, we would we would tell him every single night, Nate. You know, you are better than that. Go use your skills. And now he's saying, "Oh, well, I'll just skate into four defenders then." <laughs> no, you've gone too far. <laughs> bring it back, a little bit. Bring yeah. it back. It's that. It's the hero hey. mode. Hey, he scored. He scored a goal through Landeskog's legs. So he did because he had Landeskog guess... there. <laughs> That's the point. <laughs> I guess you can't fault him for trying to shoot through three guys because but, sometimes it works. But that it wasn't one VX that he had help. <laughs> I, I mean, true. I'm not. Andy knows what was going on. You, when you're Nathan McKinnon, you got to go one VX sometimes. Sure, but he does it a lot. He does, and I, I, that's just he so far from my concern. Him, yeah. The offensive ability on that line is not my issue with it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, the the penalty he took yesterday was just. Oh, that was so sad. Yeah, that was that was a terrible <laughs> penalty. I don't think there's any way around that one. But 
That that was I'm gonna hit you hard. Oh, that's actually gonna be really bad if I do that. At uh uh oh. <laughs> but anyway, uh, the the op- yeah the offensive ability in general of that line is definitely not the problem. It's it's the and and you're not ever gonna talk about their defense because that's not what they do. But the proclivity for turnovers is getting a little bit wild. That's all that I'll say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. But. It's that with all this negativity and this, we've been at it for almost an hour now. It's definitely worth stepping back and taking a moment to kind of, you know, take in the full picture. They did bring home, um, you know, three points this week, and that not zero. Like from listening to us, you'd think it was zero. Um, and as Earl was three. getting into a little bit before the um, show started, there there's been a lot of you know places where they're 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 doing really well relative to the rest of the league like they're sitting right now in third in the central some of that is based on games played but they have um a little bit of of space between teams five six and seven um their power play uh, uh, if you ignore the first unit has been absolutely lethal the penalty kill has been really strong thanks to goaltending and also thanks to you know strong play in general but it's been really good um, what else were you talking about, Earl? Um, well, the penalty kill is second in the league, and they've only given up one goal, so that's real good. Um, and I don't, I, like, just by the eye test, you're like, they could be better. So, you know, that, that's really promising going forward. Um, they're also top 10 in, in goals for and goals against in the league, um, I forget where they end up in goal differential now, but it's still it's it's probably top five even. Um, so I mean they're performing, you know, and it's like you're not going to win every game. It, you know, it's unreasonable to think they would have gone five and zero by now, three one and one. You know, it's like if they keep that pace over the year, they'll probably end up okay. Unreasonable. Uh, you predicted five zero and zero, just like me. We <laughs> <laughs> <You> did that. <laughs> yeah, I but, mean. It, Big picture, you you got to be pretty happy with with where this has been ending up. Um, you know, after two weeks, you you do it. It hurts when you actually look hard at the game, and it feels like they stole one point from the jaws of two. But five out of six points at home so far. You know, if you take that across the season, that's what sixty nine out of eighty two. Nice. Yeah, right? I'm saying. And, and nice. not only is it nice, that's a number that is you get to the playoffs with that number unless you're... Like, even the Avs road record last year gets them to the playoffs if that's what you do at home. Right. You know? Sure, you're one and one on the road. If, if you're 500 on the road and decent at home, I mean, you're going to make the playoffs. That's just the way it works. I'm sure any of us would have taken three one and one. And... It- it's nice that they've scored goals. That That's always... It's just good to get into the flow of scoring, even though we know the league is kind of always bananas scoring early in the season. But it's good that Dabs are one of those teams that they've seen the puck go in the net. It's just... It prevents problems down the road when guys are worried about scoring and this and that, and McKinnon's not scoring, and you have to hear about that, and blah, blah, blah. So it's it's good that they've gone in the flow of that yeah this is the fastest mckinnon has reached his current um production in like his career 
And yeah, it's, ever. And it's not close. It's by like ten games. Yeah, I mean, and, I mean, think about his season last year. I mean, it's like at this point, you're kind of like, I mean, you know, we we didn't know he was going to have a 97 point season, and it sure didn't look like he was going to at this point. So no, we I mean, were, we, going, were, we didn't see that until November, probably mid-November. You started getting hints like, hey. Uh, this could work out. And it's how we're getting the positives too, right? Even look at the first period against Calgary. We got a goal from the big guys. We got a goal from the depth. That depth goal was a tough find for the Avs last year. And yes, you can knock the half the game where they literally just weren't even in the arena. But when they're looking like a hockey team, they are doing a lot of good things that we're not really used to. And can we hype that goal for just a minute? Um, that JT Confer goal? Yeah, because yeah. it's kind of hard to notice it in real time. But when if you if you were in the arena, you may not have gotten the full picture of how insane that goal actually was. Because um, when Rycroft goes in and breaks it down, and I think it was a second intermission, he goes basically frame by frame to show all the different points when Comfort could have just fallen down. <laughs> yeah, at one point his boot was basically touching the ice, like yeah. parallel to his blade. It was wild. That goal was bananas, and that he was able to maintain not not just verticality, but maintain his composure, and then put it in the roof. Like, come on! That's why I say yeah. I like his scrappy goals. Those those are always his conference best goals. That, that's kind of like what he's best at. Is it? I mean, that's the big question with him. He lights up goals like that, and then, you know, you if he ever that. finds consistency in doing that, he could be really a piece for the Avs, but it seems like I he th- starts firing into the goalie's chest after a bit. I think while we're on the positivity train, I think all the young guys have held up their end of the bargain so far. Yeah, I, I thought Jost quietly had a very good game. I, I know most of the team was bad, but Jost was driving play the right direction as much as anyone. Yeah, and Kerfoot had a really good first period, um, but other than that, Jost was kind of doing it alone last night. I think I think they've all kind of shown that they... And five, five games is a little early to say somebody's taken a step forward, but I, I think they've all shown well. I think we also need to have a little Sam Gerrard appreciation. Oh, as always. Uh, um... <laughs> We should have a Sam's Corner segment we of the should. show, hosted by Jackie. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I can't host it because I'm the one that needs to to provide the love. But um, you'll host it solo. Yeah, yeah. Then. Yesterday, <laughs> yesterday the Gerard was, monologues <laughs> was you know maybe not the best game for everyone, but he, him and EJ still held up decently but some of the things he was doing in the first two games in Columbus and in Buffalo was just like just wow like <laughs> the, yeah the things that he he can do and consistently like the before that Buffalo game just kind of ran away I think there was at least 10 highlight worthy passes that Sam made it was just like unreal I, I think your love is a little bit off the charts, but okay. games one through four, he was the Avs' best defenseman, period. End of story. Yeah, and I, I wrote about this earlier this week after that Buffalo game, but I, I think some of the best evidence of how good Sam is is, is sort of the, the freedom that Eric Johnson feels to be the F2 or even the F1. 
Um, you know, he feels he can pinch and forecheck and, and do all kinds of stuff because he finally has a partner that, that he trusts and, and he knows is going to cover back for him. And, you know, he, he really hasn't had that, you know, probably since Hayda was his partner, you know, back in the miracle year. And, you know, and, and I'm pretty sure Sam feels the same way because, you know, he's not six foot four, so you might not notice it all the time. But, you know, it's like he pinches into the zone because he knows EJ can cover back for him. And, you know, he's he's been very good at, at, at sort of not stopping once you get into the zone and, and looking around to see what, what you should do with the pocket just to continue uh, bringing it down low and then figuring out, you know, like someone's driving to the net, that's who I needed to get to. So um, that's a great pair. But, you know, I, I think it's just it's great evidence for both guys that they feel comfortable Um being fairly aggressive because they know that, that they have their backs. And when some of those passes get converted, he should start getting credit for for some of the things he's doing. Even it, Peter McNabb said that like the yeah, Canadian media doesn't get it. <laughs> it's really, it's actually really funny because uh, Sam does make a lot of very good passes. And then the one he gets points off of are ones that he shoots like right into a dude's crotch. <laughs> well his three points were one it was a great pass to Comfer which was just like handed to him in the slot and two two were off shots if he could actually start getting some points off of plays yeah, plays but, that he makes right like all of his good plays passes. aren't getting converted but he gets points off of a double deflection and then <laughs> one that doubles over Colin Wilson and he looks between his skates and oh there's the puck <laughs> But he is shooting, and that that is helping his cause with production. It's one thing we wanted. Yeah, I mean, his his shot rates are so much better this year than they were last year. I mean, it's um, that that's one thing I re- really worried about after last year. I mean, his his ICF last year was like, I mean, it was it was around Lindholm's level. It was it was quite bad um and he you know that that's up by about 25 30 percent this year and that's just amazing to see so sam's obviously one of our stars of the week who else would we want to add to him i mean the the freebies varley yeah Yeah. for sure i'll support that one we don't get a point last night if not for him so he was definitely incredible yeah, um, I think he has over yeah. nine fifty save percentage, so that's pretty good. I think he just slipped under after last night, but yeah, I mean it's he's it's right around ninety five percent. So you know that that's and I think Jeremy posted that he's leading the league in goal saved above average on the PK. Yeah, I was gonna say he's one of the best PK goalies in the league right now, which is something that you could not have said like two years ago. Yeah, Barley starts with V, and so does Vesna. Oh. <laughs> Varley that doesn't need like... a Vesna. He's already one of Jack Adams. <laughs> <laughs> His pocketbook needs a Vesna. I mean, speaking of pocketbooks, Miko Rantanen's contract could be a star yep. too. <laughs> Boy, Miko's made a bet on himself this summer when he and his camp announced that we're not going to talk about the contract till after the season, and that's looking like a good move so far. 
It it would be a shame if the Avs at least didn't bring up some nice numbers to see if they would move off of that. If it was, well, we want to talk next summer, and Joe was like, oh, okay, I hate using the phone anyway, then that's a problem. If they said, you know, we we could talk in the sevens, and they would still say no, then I'd say, okay, you know, that. what can you do? Yeah, I, don't, but, I mean, I don't think, I, I think they'd be pretty far apart right now, no matter what. So I just, oh, I mean, I'm now, not... yeah, now they shouldn't talk unless it starts with an eight. Right, and it's just there's Maybe no more than that at this pace. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it ends up at, over. I, I'd say seven to seven and a half um, mm-hmm. is probably what, I, what I, I think. Thinking, eight could be but... reasonable, but I know. But it, you know, contracts usually end up being a lot less than people think. So I agree, but if he even approaches eighty. Forget um, it. He has the same speak, agent. Speaking as of which, Miko is going to be my star of the week. Um, yeah, there you go. Because yeah. watching watching him, um, it, just the way he plays with the puck and, and how he's so strong on his skates this year compared to last year. And you know, I don't know if he had some lingering ankle issue or something like that, and that's why he, you know, he fell down more than than usual or something last year. But um, he protects. He, he's protecting the puck so well now, and. He's doing a lot more sort of carrying through the neutral zone and entering the zone than he did last year. He really wasn't, you know, a zone entry guy last year. And, and, and this year, that's something he's kind of added to his arsenal. And um, he almost he, had a, a highlight moment if he had yeah. just converted that goal when he weaved through about three yep. different guys. And You're like, yeah. man, <laughs> awful he big man to be making moves like that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he wasn't quite doing that last year, and yeah. I already highlighted. I I thought he was quietly the maybe even the best player other than Varley last night. I don't think yeah. it was even this whole weekend or whole week rather. I think he's been better than McKinnon. Not that McKinnon's been bad; he's just been electric. I'll agree with and that. The, and the way that Miko plays with opponents in the corners is just funny to watch. I mean, it's like it's mm-hmm. got to be so frustrating. Um, because he's, you know, he's not making like Sam Gerrard style moves, but I mean, they're they're pretty, you know, they're pretty good, sort of tight circles and stuff like that. And it, it, he seems to be guessing or or have sort of a preternatural ability to know which way the guy is going to try to attack him, and he just goes the other way, and it just the guy can't keep up with the puck. It's just fun to watch. So you can see his spine arch because he's so much taller. So, <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, so that's just you know, it's great to see a guy like that that had a wonderful season last year look like he's going to be even better. So obviously, one of our scratches includes Manietto. Correct, Amundo. Who else? I mean, again, we already talked about him, so we don't have to go in-depth, but Bednar is one that I would definitely put on there. Yeah, for last night, I think you kind of have to. I, I, I think I, I think he was... He, I, he should shoulder some blame for last night, for sure. In his press conference afterward, he, you know, he, he sort of had the, the passenger look in his eyes and, and was kind of glaring about some players' performance, and you know, we saw the young guys get benched at the end, so... Uh, you know, I I think he should have been a little bit more patient. So, uh, I mean, <laughs> I know I've been thinking too. It's just 
Individually, it's hard. Barry. To I mean, I think Barry's one. Been, Barry's still been pretty bad this week. Um, he was I'll okay save, in the Buffalo game, but yeah. I'll save my Barry negativity because I'm going to need it for later. So <laughs> exactly, it's I'm, not a, it's not, not a strong negative, but he you know he really there. He's only he's been maybe sixty seventy percent so far this year. So you you really want to see him step it up a little bit. I'd say all you know. I I think I would give the the scratch to all the defense minus um, EJ and Sam. I just think I think none of them have really earned a negative on their own, but collectively it just hasn't been good enough. I think Zadorov is still trying to find his his level where he was at last year and I really do think part of that is is not giving him the minutes and the, getting into the flow of the game. I, I think he was better at parts last night because he was being physical. But I think um I think overall it's been a disappointment for him. We talked about Cole. There's good things he does, but the pair with Barry just isn't working. And then if Barry really wants to be an $8 million defenseman, he, he needs to be better. And Nemeth is Nemeth. He's been fine. He, we've, we've ripped on him enough in the past that I think he gets a, a, a light pass this week. But I think, I think all in all defense just hasn't um, inspired much joy. And with all that, there's still, Second in the PK in the whole league and sixth in goals against. <laughs> so I'll, I'll give a scratch. It's not that to, bad. <laughs> I'd give a scratch to the NHL schedulers. Yeah, no you games on Friday. A Friday in October with no game. <laughs> yeah. Come on, it was a ploy so everyone could watch like, AHL live. Uh-huh. No, it's probably for the colleges. <laughs> probably. <laughs> So the big news today uh, on Sunday as we were recording is that Sven Andrighetto is back in a non-contact jersey at practice. That's unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they said two Better to four weeks in off, like a week before the season started. So they yeah, really still got a... two weeks left on that timeline. Yeah, when he was in a regular jersey yesterday, I was like, well, that's great news, but it seems a quite a bit early. He was out kicking penalties with a boot the other day. Yep. <laughs> He's got to be pretty much fine. And you wonder why Avs get so many injury setbacks. <laughs> I'll wait and see what Benner said exactly, because a lot of a lot of context gets lost between what he says and what's tweeted when it comes to timelines and and maybe and might and stuff like that. Yeah, and, and AJ Haefeli tweeted earlier today that the Avalanche are going to call someone up later today for the road trip, um, which means that that'll happen after we record and bef- and probably around the time the show gets uploaded. So, I mean, the the default answer is that it's probably going to be Dries, but doesn't do us a whole lot of good to sit here and predict something you'll already know by the time you listen to the show. Yeah, I mean, ideally, whoever it is is just the 13th forward anyway. Right. Um, but it would be somebody, obviously, from the Colorado Eagles, who I am told won this week. They did. Two times, yeah. And they beat their old team, San Antonio, in San Antonio. Nice. Yeah. Um, 
they they looked a lot better. Um, whatever they did in practice this week worked. Maybe there was a little bit of personnel. Um, losing gift. Cody Bass. Yeah. Losing Cody Bass which was big. Um, but again, he's a fourth liner. I did, you know, I, I was a lot more impressed with what, you know, sort of the guys that, that are supposed to be generating shots and goals and stuff did. So, <clears throat> um, you know, they just looked a little bit more like a, a team that can actually, you know, get the puck in the net, which is, you know, it's, it's something you worry about because the AHL is a, a, a power play league and, you know, they were over on the power play. They're still the worst in the league, but they at least got one. Took a 5v3 to do it, but, you know. Hey, if you I got, know. You, uh... that if you want to win the game, as we know. <laughs> <very well. laughs> Journey of a thousand miles begins with but a single step. Um, <laughs> the defense is still a little iffy. Um, the only D that good. matters is good. Yeah. Nick Malosh has been fantastic so far. Um, so he scored that, another goal. Now he yep, leads he, the team with two. He's tied with Igor. Tied of course, with Igor. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So oh. that's that's nice to see. And see, I'm but, personally yeah. really curious about Igor specifically. What's he look like down there? He's There's hilarious. Hilarious. <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they had a they had a um not a gift but a. Uh, a little six-second video clip of them asking him after the game how scoring a, the goal felt, and he's like, "Woo!" <laughs> he, even on the ice, he has like yak level celebrations when he scores. Yeah. <laughs> I know, he's, he's just—he's just, you know. so endearing, and, it, and the great thing is, it seems like he's enjoying himself. It just must be so different for him. And they have him on the fourth line; they don't have him on the power play. It's just like. But I mean, what you know? Think about last year when he was playing ten seconds a game. I mean, well, you know, sure. Like playing on yeah. the fourth line with Cody Bass seems like just high cotton, you know. But still, you're in you're in a new country. He still doesn't know English that well. I mean, he can he can write in English, but you know, he still isn't speaking it in interviews or anything like that. And it just must be so different for him. And it just seems like he has such joy for his playing over here and that's so great to see but as far as his play it's it's actually it's been really fun to watch him he, he's really good with the puck and even in fourth line situations he he seems to make things happen I think I think if they well, the great thing is he seems to make his line mates better and you know of course a fourth liner in the AHL would need a lot of help to look better um, I don't know if you noticed but Nantella had four shots on goal yesterday I mean it's like you know Raise your hand if you saw that coming. I mean, that's and Jolie have none, which is yeah, exactly. <laughs> a I little mean, reason I, for that. I did tell Cronin to play Nantel in San Antonio. <laughs> <laughs> and you think you have pull with Mister Pins? Come on. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Igor's. You know, it it, it it it's something you're looking at, sort of. You know, three, four, five months down the road, like you know, this spring. This this kid's going to be a lot of fun to watch, um, because it, it it's obvious that you know e even being on the fourth line with with some marginal players, um, he looks great. It, it it a lot of the kids down there do look like that. Yeah, you know, in in February this could be a real fun team if the the young kids flower into what they could be. Yeah, yeah. the line the lineup was decent over the weekend, so. 
And they won, and, so... And I'd just like to say, I know there. nobody cares, but the fact that our home AHL arena has replay capabilities, choice. <laughs> <laughs> but come on ahl live has that 15 second button <laughs> that's the san antonio rampages lack of replay is just unacceptable replays are for other people there's a lot about ahl live that's unacceptable but we um, won't go there you know and another guy that that we were all hoping to would do well is aj greer he's he's probably been if if not the best forward, maybe, I mean, definitely one of the best. Um, he's leading the team in shots on goal. He has a goal and assist in four games. Um, it's, you know, getting um, more diverse usage than he ever has. He's playing on, on the penalty kill and, and dealing with defensive zone starts and tough situations and stuff. So um, I, I found him to be very impressive so far. Yeah, he's doing everything right. I mean, he's got to keep it up, but it's going to be hard to keep him down there forever if he does. Yeah. He's definitely like best of the, the call-up group. I'd also like to shout out Bo Dan for scoring a goal, also looking like a real player and being used like a real player. Yeah, they put Greer and Bo Dan together, um, you know, after after having Greer with uh, Toninato at first. And they, they really seem to have clicked and, you know, <clears throat> I like Scott Kosmachuk on that line. I think, you know, he's, he's done fine. I know he's only scored one goal and it was on a 5v3, but, um, you know, I, I think those guys are finding some chemistry. And one uh, other guy that needs to be mentioned is Brantsuz. For sure. He was amazing. He had two good games. He played this weekend back-to-back. So uh, whatever reason why he couldn't play the first weekend was resolved and... And he looked good, so there, there's definitely encouragement there as well. Yeah, um, you know, it, I, I, I hate to, you know, Marty was okay the first weekend, but it's just like you, you can see the, um, you can see the difference, you know, in, in how good Francis is for that league. Um, just sort of when you when you compare them side by side with Martin. So he only like gave a, up one goal in each game, I believe. Yeah, he's, it, his save percentage is 97%. It's, and... it's more than that. Like, I tried to watch him fairly closely in the second game, too. His lateral movement is a bell caliber, straight up. Like, he makes saves yeah. look routine that Martin can't. I mean, even Huso. Like, Huso, we know Huso's a pretty darn good goalie for, you know, what he is. You know, a young guy in the AHL, and it's like... Francis outplayed him massively in both games, or, you know, last night. Well, should we turn back to the NHL and look at next week? Yes. Let's do it. So this week's schedule is almost exactly like last week's. On Tuesday, the Avalanche are back on the road out east, which makes them stopping back at home on Saturday in the middle of the night a kind of bizarre scheduling decision. It's a 5 o'clock mountain start on Tuesday against Earl's favorite, the New York Rangers. Woohoo. Then on no, Thursday, Earl's real favorite's coming. <laughs> then on Thursday, they travel, quote-unquote, to New Jersey, a 5 o'clock mountain start with the Devils. And finally, on Saturday, we get our first afternoon game of the season, which is an 11 o'clock mountain start in Carolina against the 4-0-1 Hurricanes, which surprised me until I saw who they played so far. All games are on altitude. Hate week. 
I got my hate out last week when they played Buffalo. No, hate week is next week when they actually play on Wednesday. <coughs> on NBCS and XYZ. Oh no, a national game? Oh. Yeah, it's it's the night you love to hate. <laughs> um, I guess their massive well. rival, the Tampa Bay Lightning. But this week is the Rangers, the Devils, and the Hurricanes, so... How many I'll say that they better beat the Rangers, especially after Bedner's dagger eyes and what they did at the end of the Calgary game. And that the Rangers are just... They don't look very good. And no, they don't. They, and they need to beat their old coaches, Quinn and Oliver. Yes, they do. Yeah, yeah. I watched so, uh, the Edmonton Rangers game yesterday and why both teams were terrible well i was you know i was vacuuming and i needed something on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah both teams were so bad and i mean edmonton was you're just like oh boy the rangers are gonna kill them and they couldn't score you're just like this is just futile um so that if that's not a win you know the beating should continue um, and New Jersey's going to be tough. That they they're yeah. also a fast team, and, um, and we'll see if they've learned anything from last year because New Jersey uh, played them pretty tough last year. Yeah, both Jersey and Carolina are, are styles that they tend to struggle with. So, are we going to have know. to hear Will Butcher crap again? <laughs> God damn it! Um. I'll have my mute button. <laughs> Do you think New Jersey fans obsess over Alex Kerfoot the same way? I hope so. Not that I have heard, but I don't necessarily go looking for it either. It's just so irritating. <sighs> I think there's four points coming this week. I, I think they're going to beat New York, and then whether they go uh, two OTLs or one win, one loss in the other two games, it's really tough to for me to make a call there, but I think four points is on the table. I think, I think so, so, too. Yeah, I think they'll they'll beat the Rangers, lose to the Devils, and since I can't watch the Carolina game, they'll they'll win that because even though Carolina usually plays them really tough, they end up losing anyway. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'll say five points. Historically, we've been really good at getting Carolina to overtime, and then don't have Jeff Skinner anymore. Um, I, New York has to be a win. If we don't beat New York, there are real, like, we need to have a sit-down talk. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, New Jersey, I think, will be a good test. Uh, they've played teams that haven't been able to score well so far. And the Avs' top line is going to get theirs, I think. Okay. So we're, we're all, after we spent 45 minutes bitching, we're all still looking up this week. So that's good to know. I wouldn't yeah. say the opponent level is uh is real high. I mean, if we're going to talk about who Carolina's played, the Avs haven't really played great competition yet. And this road trip isn't exactly murderer's row, but anytime you win in the NHL, it, you had to do something right. Bank I those mean, points. 
for as bad as the Avs' two losses are in this season, they were in both of those games anyway. So if it can't get much worse than that, then we're looking pretty good. Yeah, when you you look at Carolina, Carolina has given up a lot of goals to teams that are not good. (laughs) So. We will see what they have, what they can do, um against Carolina because they've they have given up five goals I think they've given up three or more in, in almost every game the, the one they didn't they lost anyway <laughs> but yes it still feels like the Avs have easily the capability to win all these games yeah and that that is certainly a positive it is it's good to see them look it's good to look at those down uh, down on their luck teams as, you know, points that the Avs should be banking as opposed to this game, maybe they won't play down to their level of competition like we used to every single year. <laughs> yeah, tune in next week to see how we feel about that. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, tune in uh, Tune in next week at probably the usual time, although that Saturday game is pretty early, so if we're feeling... If we're really feeling on fire, we might jump on the mic Saturday night. I don't know. It depends on everybody's schedules. Um, it is a little bit tough in the fall to make sure everybody's free at the same time. So it, we might release on Sunday of, ne- of next week, but it'll definitely be at least by Monday. You can count on that. Um, you can find that show on burgundyrainbow.com. You can find it hosted on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash burgundyradio or on mixcloud at mixcloud.com slash burgundyradio or on iTunes or on the Google Play Music Store. Um, pretty much any other podcast hosting is very, very specific. You know how hard it is to get a podcast on like Spotify or something like that? It's ridiculous. Um, but in all the normal places, you'll find us next week. We'll see you then. It's just the Sharks Devils live game like photo and there's like a Devils guy standing right in front of Martin Jones with his mouth like wide open. Okay. Yeah, and, then, and then who is that also standing uh, next to them? Yeah, it, is, is that DeMello? I don't know. I don't know. His Maybe face it's Dylan. I think name. it's Dylan. It's some shark. Yeah. And between the two of them and the way Martin Jones is craning, it kind of looks like the clown from It maybe standing off camera. <laughs> yeah, they're watching like a train wreck at the blue line or something. People do pick the worst photos. I think you mean the, the best photos. The picture of that Rampage guy with his face in the ref's ass was just amazing. <laughs> 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 I want to use that so bad. I wish it wasn't copyrighted. <laughs> you can use rampage shit. Can you though? I don't. I, 